Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So uh, we're studying uh, through the Gospel of Luke, working our way through slowly but surely. We're in chapter 10 today. Uh, as you recall, at the end of chapter 9, Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem. And we said before, uh, you know, Jerusalem is not Galilee. Galilee is kind of a sleepy little fishing village, and, and frankly, uh, not a lot of people took notice. He couldn't get into a whole lot of trouble there. Uh, a little different story. Jerusalem is the seat of both political and religious power. And it's been interesting to me. Uh, I'll just talk about it a little bit today. But just the, it's so hard to separate. We, we try to, I think, and would maybe in our hearts like to be able to separate uh, religion and politics. But it's, it's really impossible. And the reality is it's, it's impossible because uh, the political spectrum affects what happens in the spiritual realm. And, and that was true in Jesus' time. It's true in our time. So uh, religious and political power in Jerusalem, Jesus is going there and he's going to provoke that power. He's very aware of the end game. He knows exactly where this is going. Uh, and yet he is obedient to his father and it says that he resolutely uh, set out for Jerusalem. Another uh, pivotal point in chapter 9, just by review, was that for the first time he reaches out to the Gentiles. Prior to that, his audience had been largely uh, or completely Jewish. Uh, he had sent some of his disciples, you recall, ahead to Samaria to kind of prepare the way and, and make hotel reservations, that kind of thing. Um, uh, there was, and, and again, I think this is a point of overlap in sort of the different realms of society, but there was some very strong ethnic as well as religious prejudice, racial and uh, religious prejudice, uh, between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, customarily, the Jews would not even go through Samaria. Uh, not only was, was there a, you know, sort of a, you know, hard feelings and, and difficult times between the two, but the Jews actually believed that to walk through Samaria uh, would make them unclean, for their feet to even touch the soil there uh, would, would cause them to uh, not be under the law. And so there was a lot of prejudice, a lot of uh, animosity between the two. Jesus just goes right through Samaria. Uh, he is continually revolting against cultural norms uh, that exclude people, that ostracize people, that marginalize people. And, and I, I think that's our example. We, we, we should be asking, are, are there cultural norms? Are there ideas? Are there practices that take place just normally in culture around us that are exclusive? And I think if we do that and we, we uh, find out what those things are, we think of those things, 
then we ask, how can I counter that? What might I be able to do to counter that way of thinking or that practice? Sometimes things are so much a part of culture that we don't realize that, that they have an exclusive kind of dynamic, that they separate people. Uh, I've been reading a lot lately. If you want to go to the next slide, uh, this is just some of what I've been reading. Go back. There you go. Um, some of what I've been reading, just th thinking about ideas and mindsets that we carry with us that we're not even familiar with. We don't even realize that, that, that they, they separate people out. So just kind of think that way. Begin thinking about, you know, at work and, and just in, in life in general. Are there things that separate people out? Earlier in chapter 9, Jesus uh, sent his 12 disciples out. They, they came back with kind of a mixed review, mixed report. Uh, you recall that they attempted to cast a demon out of a young boy, uh, and they were unsuccessful. The father of that, of that boy later brought him to Jesus, and Jesus did uh, cast a demon out of him. But for me, that's not the main point. The, the the success or failure of their effort, the main point is that they were doing it. They took a risk and they stepped out and they went for it. And, and whether or not uh, God responds is really up to him. When we pray for people, we minister to people, we're, we're not really in control of the outcome. God is in control of the outcome. What we're responsible for is to be obedient and do what he calls us to do. And that's exactly what they did. And I think that's something we can, can learn from to be faithful and then just trust him for the rest. So now Jesus is multiplying ministry. He's sending 72 more out. Uh, he's giving it away. Uh, he's multiplying ministry. He's replicating himself in the lives of others. We have a little saying in the vineyard, and if you want to go to the next slide, I mean, it's everybody gets to play. Um, what that means really was just uh, John Wimber's way of saying that there's no spectators. Everybody's involved. Ministry is not centered on the pastors, the leaders. It's not centered on certain elite or super spiritual group of people. It really is for all of us. And so um, our title this morning as we get into chapter 10 is 1,000 Little Jesuses. Or would it be Jesus? I don't know. What would be the plural of Jesus? But anyway, a lot of them out there. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in. Father, thanks for uh, your word. I pray you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts today that we might uh, just learn and grow in you. In your name, amen. So yeah, again, I want to I look at, as we, as we look at the text today, I want to ask the question, what does this mean to me? What might my part be? Um, Jesus is, is multiplying ministry. He's sending other people out. We are an extension of that. So there was the 12 and the 72, the church and the book of Acts, and then from that day to this day, it's continued. And we're, we're the ultimate extension of that. So what, what does that look like in our lives? Um, let's look at the first few verses, one through three. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That doesn't sound fun. Um, so he, uh, he had sent the 12 out together. They, they went as a group. Now uh, he's changed his tactic a little bit. He's sending this group out two by two. 
they'll, they'll go uh, a little farther and broader in that, in that capacity, but they're not going alone. And I think it's important. Uh, we have another saying, I uh, never do ministry alone. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. And there are at least a couple of reasons that I can think of for that. Uh, one is that we do want to be multiplying ministry. We want to replicate ministry. And really, uh, the things of the kingdom are more caught than taught. We learn to pray by listening to somebody else pray. We learn to serve by going along with somebody that serves and just watching and observing and seeing them and, and then participating in the process. That's how it works. So ministry is multiplied as we uh, take people along with us. The second thing is really that there's just uh, safety in numbers. You know, uh, spiritual warfare is a reality, uh, and you can get uh, you can get uh, you, you know some rejection, hostility towards you. Uh, so it's nice to have a friend along. Proverbs says uh, two's better than one. I think Three Dog Knight said that too, but Proverbs probably first. Only the old people laugh at my jokes because most of you don't even know who Three Dog Knight is. But one was the loneliest number. Uh, Jesus said, I'm sending him out uh, like lambs among wolves. It's, a, it's dangerous business. My, uh, my dear friend, uh, the right Reverend Raymond McDonald, uh, city councilman for the beautiful town of Conroe, Texas, says that a lone sheep is a dead sheep out on the prairie. And he's He's right. Is, is, is in his Texas way, he's very right that uh, when you go into ministry alone, you run a much higher potential of uh, falling into the hands of the enemy and really uh, getting chewed up and spit out, so to speak. Next verse, number four. He continues and says, don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. Again, kind of a, a weird little thing to say there. Travel light. But not only travel light, I think, I think the, the real intent of that verse is stay focused on the task at hand. Uh, ministry is not a vacation, all right? Uh, you want to stay focused, and when your heart is in ministry, I've been on, I, I'm a veteran of, I don't know how many cross-cultural ministry trips I've been on, uh, over 100, and I, I realize when you lose focus in that setting, bad stuff happens, uh, you, you know, you want to stay focused and stay connected and stay in tune because otherwise you find yourself uh, in situations that you don't want to be in. Uh, we, uh, you know, give the devil just a little foothold and I'll tell you, he'll stick his foot in the door and, and do everything he can to jack you up uh, and shake your confidence. So when we're engaged in ministry on any level, but certainly when we're out, uh, especially cross-culturally, but we want to keep focus. So uh, next, next verse is five. When you enter a house first, say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. The worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So there's uh, three instructions Jesus gives to this team as they're going out. First, he says that you are to offer and receive hospitality. Uh, and again, I, the heart and soul of ministry is relational. It really is. Um, 
I've said this, I've shared this before. I think it, it's worth sharing again, you know. We uh, have spent a lot of time taking a lot of teams to Nicaragua, and a dear friend of mine is kind of a, a Rambo, go get him sort of guy. And he says, when we go, you know, we go on these teams and we just stand around. I want to do something. And he really, what he meant was, I want to build something. That was what, he, that was, you know, I want to build something. But the truth is that the value of ministry really is in, in relationship and in spending time getting to know people and being a part of their lives. I, I love that. That's why I love the church, because that's what it's about. It's, it's about building relationships. You pray for people who are sick, but you also take some soup over and sit with them while they're sick. Uh, you spend time. Um, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. We enter into relationship and enter into to their joy and, 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 and their pain. Uh, we really do spend time. I have never, and I might offend somebody or put somebody off, but I've never been a big fan of kind of the whole itinerant ministry thing. I get it. I understand it. Uh, but in one level, there's sort of like this big name, rolls into town, makes a big splash, and then leaves. And, and frankly, sometimes leaves a mess in terms of, uh, you know, just questions related to ministry that there's nobody to answer. But in the church, if we pray for you and you're healed or not healed or whatever, there's somebody there to, to respond and to talk to and to work that through with. Uh, I also am reminded in, in a relational ministry setting that, that my world is not the world. Not everybody sees things the way I do, and it's important for me to be reminded of that and to know that uh, other people live very different lives than I do. So uh, I, I just, uh, I really, really do value relational ministry, and I believe that was the heart of Jesus here as well. Second thing he says is extend the peace. Uh, our friends next door do that all the time. They, they pass the peace. Peace to you, and peace to you as well. I love that. Um, that's the message, though, really, to, to hang out, be a part of their lives, and bring the kingdom with you and the peace of God with you. Uh, it's really what we want to do. The goal is really to be Jesus to the community, to, to share his heart and his passion and, and who he is with folks and to just uh, enter into that place of love with them. Uh, there, there's a lot of opportunities to do that. Uh, even here, you know, it's, it, we're a relatively small church, but we're active. There's a lot of ways you can get involved. Whether you want, we had our prayer team training Thursday night, it was, it was a, a lot of fun, really. And you can be part of our prayer team here. You, you, can, uh, you can serve at the pantry. Uh, you, can, you can host or lead a small group, possibly. Uh, you know, you can maybe be part of the worship team. I know you have to talk to Tucker about that, but... Um, there's a lot of opportunity. And look, here's the thing. You know, maybe you have passion and a heart for something uh, that we don't do. And I would love to talk to you about that. You know, it's ministry is, is not, doesn't all come out of me. I, I'm not creative enough to think of everything. Uh, so let's talk about it. Maybe if, if it fits with what we do and who we are, uh, you get some people and, 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 you know, get together with some folks and, uh, and let's start something new. That's, uh, that's how it works around here. It's not, it doesn't all come from me. It comes from you guys. Um, third thing he says, tell them the kingdom of God has come. So you, you demonstrate the kingdom and you talk about the kingdom. Or you talk about the kingdom and you demonstrate the kingdom. It's show and tell. Um, 
you know, and again, the, the, the relational aspect of that, uh, you're not preaching at people. <laughs> Love that. Go to the next slide. This, we, don't want to, we don't do that. Uh, I don't know what, the, I wish I could, the, the, the guy, the hippie there on the right is, I don't know what his sign says. I wish I could read it. But the other guy said, repent or perish. I, I'm going to make uh, two um, assumptions about that guy. One, I don't think he probably has actually led very many people to Christ. That's just my guess. I, I don't think his, his approach is, is really going to be appealing to a lot of people. Second assumption I'm going to make about him is he probably doesn't have very many friends. It, it, it just, there's a difference between uh, that kind of dynamic and, and what I think we see in the lives of these people that Jesus sends out who go and spend time with uh, the people that they are, are ministering to. Uh, the kingdom of God is advanced when we look like Jesus. Go to the next slide. Yeah, I remember that guy. He's got the beard, but I don't think Jesus ever wore a rainbow Afro wig. Um, I just, again, I, I don't think that really looks like Jesus. Uh, besides, he's in prison now, so, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a, another, uh, there's somebody better. There's an author named Rodney Stark who wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And uh, Stark is, a, he's not a believer, which is interesting, but he's a sociologist and he studied the church. And he, in the rise of Christianity, he, he asks the question and then answers the question or attempts to answer the question, why did the church grow so dramatically in the first 300 years? In the first three centuries after Jesus, astronomical growth of the church around the world. Why was that? And Stark concludes this, that one of the primary reasons the church grew so fast in the first three centuries was the behavior of Christians. In the first century, there was a plague of smallpox, uh, and then later, 75 to 100 years later, a second plague happened of measles. And uh, those, uh, those two epidemics killed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. They were very widespread. Uh, obviously, they did not have the medical science that we have today, so... There was, there was no cure, no treatment for these diseases at all. There was an understanding, though, that they were contagious, that they were passed from person to person. So typically what most people did was fled. They left to get as far away from anybody who was sick as they could because I don't want to get that. Conversely, Christians would go to the sick people to take care of them. They were the only ones that would go help the people that were sick. And um, it's, I just, I got, I get off on these tangents, so I started reading about this this week. And interestingly enough, the mortality rate during that first epidemic of smallpox was 80%. 80% of the people that contracted the disease died, but among Christians that were going to help people, it was 50%. It was significantly lower among the people who intentionally went to serve those who were sick. I, I can't explain that other than the kingdom of God. There's no rational way that could be true except for God. They exemplified service and care and community to the people around them. They, they at their own 
cost of potentially their own lives, went and helped people out. And Stark says that's why the church grew. They were in it together. That's the body of Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to take care of your neighbors and to love those that might be different than us. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were in Mexico. Tucker and I were in Mexico with Jimmy John Morris, some of you know, and uh, pastor of a vineyard church up near Seattle, a couple folks from his church. We visited the, uh, the vineyard church in Tijuana, which is a, a, just a beautiful uh, church and a, a tremendous ministry. We went down and saw our friends at Dwarf Faith Orphanage, who many of you know. And then on the way back, we stopped uh, to uh, spend some time with a guy named Dave Hessler, who has a ministry in a canyon uh, just uh, to the kind of to the side of Tijuana that is, it's not any longer, but it used to be the dump. And there's hundreds of people that live there in this area. And so Dave has a ministry really just, uh, he kind of, it's, it's a little undefined. He just sort of meets needs. That's what he does. So, so he started out doing food, and, and then, but he, he's worked to bring clean water in to some of these communities because they didn't have clean water. He does medical clinics and dental clinics and things like that. He just sort of meets needs. And historically, his ministry has been largely to those folks that live there in that canyon in Tijuana. But you know who his ministry has been largely to over the last year, year and a half? Uh, those, uh, the migrant caravan, those people that were traveling from Central America to try to come to the United States and were stalled at the border of Tijuana. You read about that and you wonder what happens to those folks. Well, there was, there was a lot of folks there, but Dave Hessler is housing as many of them as he can. He's fe- He's feeding him and taking care of them because that's the heart of God. And that's what he's doing. And Christians, I think the point of the passage is that Christians are different than the population at large. And so while others may say, you know, send them home and uh, we're afraid, the heart of God is, can I serve these folks and can I love them because they're created in the image of God? What might we be able to do in our own community to be different? I don't know fully what the answer to that is, but I think as we pray, God will show us. He'll begin to speak into our hearts and give us opportunities just to care for people in our neighborhood and people around us. Last uh, section here, verse 10. Final warning. When you enter a town, you're not welcome. Go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet is a warning to you. Be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, you'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have, rep- they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. That's a hard uh, saying there. Uh, it's a little tough to, to weigh that out. But here's the thing. Um, these were Jewish cities that didn't welcome Jesus. And I, 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 I think the point he's making there is that the kingdom of God is optional. It's voluntary. We have the choice to receive from God or not receive. Uh, and so in one sense... 
to say no to what God provides and offers is a sort of a self-inflicted judgment. You're saying no to uh, what he has and, and putting yourself in a position to be open to judgment. I, it's just a reminder to me that the, the, the kingdom of God is a choice. It's voluntary. We can receive from him what he has for us or, or we, we can refuse it. Um, so I'm going to close with this and if you guys want to come on back up. Uh, in summary, I would say this. The, the, uh, the 72 that's, that Jesus sent out were the first of a kind. Uh, that they were to go and uh, represent Jesus to the people that they encountered. That's our title today, A Thousand Little Jesuses. Um, we just go and be Jesus. And I think we ask ourselves that question. How, how might I represent who Jesus is to those people in my community? And, and I would, I would, I'll challenge you a little bit to prayerfully consider how, how might I represent Jesus to those people in my community that might be different than me? Uh, you know, that might look different than me, that might be a different color than me, that might be in a different, you know, social or economic place than I am. How might I do that? Uh, because I tell you, that's really the heart of God, is, is to bring people together in unity, uh, not divide them. Um, the truth is, if you, if you choose to do that, look, I get it. It's, it's, it's going to offend people. Uh, you're going you're to look ridiculous at times. You know, you really are. Uh, you, you might be embarrassed socially by, some, <laughs> by, by doing the things you do. Uh, you, it might, you might challenge values of the culture around you. You might find some of your own values being challenged. I think that's a good thing. Uh, all those things can happen, but, but here's the thing. We are called to represent Jesus. We're called to represent Jesus to the community around us. Why don't you guys stand? Um, we're going to go into a last worship song, and I, I just want to encourage you to, uh, to really pray as we worship this morning and uh, ask God, you know, what might you have for me? Uh, what might you be leading me into? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.